Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 this morning, and uh, if you've been with us at all, then you know that we've been traveling through the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians, uh, this is message number 16 uh, that we've had in the book, and we have a few more left. We're actually going to be uh, in this study until uh, the end of January, and so we have about seven or eight messages left, and I'm looking forward uh, to all of the learning that we're going to have, but Just to help everybody be on the same page, of course, the book of 1 Corinthians, it's called an epistle or a letter. It was written by Paul to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a city that Paul knew very well. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the, the city of Corinth at the time was probably... Um, probably the second or third most known city in, in, the, in the, world, the known world at the time. Really, it was kind of, many scholars believe, it was second to only Rome. And uh, you could go, Corinth was known, of course, for its trade. Corinth was known as a thriving metro- metropolitan area. Corinth was known as a place that you could go and go from ruin to riches within one generation. You could be a, a slave and be free, and then uh, by the end of your life, be one of the wealthiest people in Corinth. That's what Corinth was known as. It was a a military hub. It was a great uh, trading post. It was a a very uh, um, uh, affluential area because of commerce and everything that would take place. But we've also learned that Corinth was uh, what we've called a debauched city. It was just filled with sin. It was filled with wickedness. It was filled with uh, just so much going on that even uh, at the time, you could really put someone down by saying, well, you're just a Corinthian. And that was the degrading statement that was said. That, that's the reputation. I'm glad we don't have that in Moses Lake, you know? Uh, man, you're a Moses Lakeian, you know, or something like that. I, uh, I was preaching in New Jersey last week, and I met a fella. I don't even know uh, how the conversation came up, but he said, where at in Washington are you from? And I said, Moses Lake. He went, oh, Moses Hall. And I was like, come on, man. I love Moses Lake. I said, you, you knew it like 30 years ago because that was the nickname years ago, you know. Uh, but man, can you imagine the reputation of your town being a put down? You know, you're just like a Corinthian. Well, that was Corinth. It was just known for sin. It was known for wickedness. And yet Paul knew the city very well because Paul once a persecutor of the church, trusted Christ as Savior, and then God would use him to go and be a great proponent for the church, a great preacher of the gospel, and and Paul would be used to start dozens and dozens of churches, and one of the cities that he would start a church in is the city of Corinth. As a matter of fact, Paul knew the city very well because he would spend 18 months there. He spent time there investing in people and loving people and telling people about Jesus and then helping them grow in the word of God and grow in their walk with God. And, and really, Paul had a great passion and, and compassion for the people of Corinth. But Paul would leave a few years later after being gone. Paul would receive word that the believers in Corinth, that they were, just, uh, uh, that they were not doing well. As a matter of fact, they sent a a delegation to Paul to ask him a number of questions and then to present to him like, hey, Paul, things are not going well. Paul, we need your help. And so what Paul did is he wrote back to them. He wrote back to them the first letter, which we don't have a record of, but then he wrote a second and a third letter. The second letter would be the book of 1 Corinthians. In the book, Paul covers a lot of things. If you've been with us in our series, then you know uh, Paul has, he kind of spent the first six chapters kind of correcting them. He, He was correcting them on things such as their contention and their infighting. And he was saying like, hey, if you follow Christ, like put the contention down. And, and of course, maybe the, the proverb of Solomon that only by pride cometh contention would be in Paul's mind. And he writes to them, hey, contention's in your life simply because you're filled with yourself. Man, lose the arrogance and, and humble your heart before God and you'll begin to get along with others. He corrected them on things like their indifference towards sin. If you've been with us in our series, you remember they were pacifying sin, they were excusing sin, and Paul wrote to them, hey, sin is sin, call it what it is, and get it out of your life. It's, a, it's something that is going to affect every area of your life. You think you can control it, but you don't know the power of sin working in your flesh. And he just wrote to them, hey, don't be indifferent towards sin. Wrote to them about their purpose. 
as a servant of God and a steward of God. He wrote to them about a lot of other areas. But then from chapter 7, all the way through the end of the book or the end of the letter, Paul writes to them to answer questions. He answers questions about marriage. He answers questions about singleness and about widowhood. We're going to see in a few weeks him answering questions about the end times and about the rapture and about the coming of the Lord and about judgment. He answers questions uh, in chapters 8 through 10 about the gray areas of the Christian life and areas that the Bible doesn't necessarily say thou shalt not or thou shalt. And he writes to them about uh, everything you do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, do it because of a love for God and a love for people. Does it glorify God? Is it going to edify people? And he gave us that filter on how to make some decisions. Then last, the last message two weeks ago, Paul gave a great lesson on leadership. Hey, listen, I don't care who you are. Everybody is leading somebody and everybody is following somebody. And here's what Paul wrote. Lead in such a way that you could say to people, follow me as I follow Christ. And you live your life, dad, live your life in such an example that you can say to your kids, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. My life is just going to magnify Jesus. And so you can follow me because I'm going in the right direction. I'm pursuing the right person. And my, my heart is pursuing a love of Jesus Christ. And Paul wrote about leadership and about fellowship. Today, we pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 17, all the way down through verse number 34. We're going to stand in just a minute, and we're going to read it. But before we do, I want to ask you a question. Can you ever remember a time in your life when you were a student and you absolutely bombed a homework assignment, like failed it completely? Be honest. How many of you can remember something like that? All right, good. Good. A lot of honest people and a bunch of liars. That's what we have in here right now. No, listen, every one of us, we've probably been there. Uh, have you ever done so bad that the teacher like said something to you like, you don't get this at all. You, you don't understand this at all. I mean, you, you, you just need to go back to the beginning of this entire lesson. Like you have missed it completely. I'm thinking, and I don't mean to pick on them, but I'm thinking about our kids. There's been times in our kids' life where they're going through a math in particular, and uh, there's a couple of them that they'll go through math. And at one point, uh, Dennis had a time, I think he's probably third or fourth grade. Uh, Dennis had a time when he was going through his homework and, and literally getting every, every answer wrong. And I'm like, dude, did you, uh, did you even read the instructions? He's like, um, kind of. <laughs> and I'm like, quit acting like me. Because that was me growing up. I had tons of times I could take it, and my teachers would, my teachers or my parents, you know, you'd, you'd be that kid. Listen, you'd be that one kid that it's a timed test at school, okay? Timed test. You sit down and you just go through, you just answer everything. And you get up, you're the first one done. You get up, first one done, put it on the teacher's desk, looking at all your friends. You're sitting down, and you're like, man, this is awesome. I'm the first one done. I'm the best one there is. I nailed it. I got 100%. Only for you to come in the next day. And she's handing out the tests. And you get yours, and you find out the only thing I got right on this paper was my name. <laughs> and I didn't even spell that right. And those times when it happens, the, the teacher... And they're going to say to you, did you even, did you even study? You ever, write, you ever write a book report without reading the book? Yeah, don't try it. I've done it. Yeah, don't do it. And the teacher calls you in. <laughs> I can tell you right now, teacher call you in, and you sit down, and she goes, so, so what was this book about? Um, remember that book, Banner in the Sky? You ever read that book, Banner in the Sky, about mountain climbing? It was a mountain climber, fifth grade report. Mrs. Cecil sat me down. What's this about? Uh, um, it's about a banner in the sky. <laughs> well, what happens, Dennis? Um, a guy climbs a mountain, and he puts a banner in the sky. Dennis, did you read the book? Not all of it. What'd you read? 
the cover and the synopsis on the back. <laughs> so I thought I could do it. And you know what? There's times in your life when the teacher's like, hey, you missed it. You, you, you think you got it, but you missed it. As we come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse 17 through verse number 34, really, we're gonna be sitting in the schoolhouse with Paul when he says to the church at Corinth, hey, you think you got this right, but you missed it. You missed the entire lesson that I gave you. You, you literally got everything wrong. Because as we come to the passage before us, the church at Corinth, here's what they had, and we'll see this this morning. They had, they had this thing, and, and we're gonna understand it today, called the Lord's table. Partaking of the Lord's table, we might call it communion. Maybe you would call it that in the church you grew up in. But the Lord's table, they had this, they had this, uh, this ordinance that God had set forward. We're going to see that. And Paul, he had taught the believers at Corinth about the Lord's table. But in the passage, they got it all wrong. And Paul writes to them, wrong, 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 F. You didn't even spell your name correctly. And so what he does is he goes right back to the beginning and says, this is important, and I want you to get it this time. Take your Bibles, if you will, and let's stand. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read a number of verses together, and then we'll get right into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse number 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 17. Here's what Paul writes. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I, I hear, I'm hearing that there's divisions among you. And I partly believe it. And what a reputation. Hey, I hear that you guys just don't get along. And actually, you know what? I believe it. I believe that. For there must be also heresies among you. That word heresies just means separations, factions. That they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before uh, other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and, and drink this cup, ye do show, you do, you're, you're an example of the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, he shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and, and sickly among you, and many sleep. That word sleep there just means many have died. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened or corrected of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another, look out for one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Take your Bible, if you would, real quick, and look back at verse number 17. Because in verse number 17, we just kind of got it. We have to, we have to understand the, the stage that is set as Paul writes this to them. Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. Here's what Paul is saying to them. Hey, listen, you want commendation. You want commendation in a certain area. But what I'm about to write to you, 
I got nothing good to say. I've got nothing good to say. You've got it all wrong. You, you think you're right. You wrote to me in arrogance. We're gonna see that this morning. They wrote to Paul kind of in arrogance about the Lord's table, describing what they were doing. And Paul says, okay, now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. You wanted praise here, but you got it all wrong. And this morning, I think we're going to be challenged in what they got wrong. May we learn their lesson and get it right. Man, learning from somebody else's mistakes taking the truth and the principle and applying it to our life and allowing God to help it for us to make us someone that might be used and a better Christian walking with the Lord, a better example in this week. And so let's pray and let's get right into the word of God this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a minute? And would you just commit to the Lord? God, I'm listening to you today. God, would you speak to me? God, would you help me to hear from you today? And then make a commitment. God, if you speak to me, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your care. And uh, God, I'm thankful for the scripture and the word of God before us this morning. And I pray that you would help us. I pray that you'd give me clarity of thought and direction. I pray that you'd give all of us uh, ears to hear and a receptive heart to understand and then make a decision. And Father, I pray that if uh, there's someone here this morning that does not know you as their personal savior, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust completely in you. And God, for every Christian today, I pray that you'd help us to be challenged by your word. Help us to understand what you have for us. And God, I just pray that as we go through this service, that you would capture our attention and and speak to us. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. Again, Paul writing to them saying, just so you know, what I, what I have to write to you is not good. You got the answers wrong. And as we look at the passage before us this morning, I want us to notice, first of all, what I'm calling the rebuke. The rebuke, the, the correction that Paul gives to them. We find the rebuke in verses 17 down through verse number 22. It begins with Paul saying, I praise you not. And it ends with Paul saying, I praise you not. Here's what we know. We know that the Corinthians, they had written Paul a letter. In that letter, they had given him a bunch of questions. Among the questions, apparently, was a question about the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. In some of the areas that they wrote to Paul, we need to know this, that in some of the areas, they asked inquisitively. You know what that means? They, they really wanted to know. Like they wrote a question because, hey, Paul, what do you say about marriage? Like, Paul, what is God's thoughts on the gray areas? And they really, they, they wrote because they knew they needed help and they wrote to Paul for help. But there's a few areas, and this chapter in particular, there's a few areas where they wrote to Paul with kind of a, an assumption of like, Paul, we just want you to affirm what we're doing. We know it's right. We know we're doing right. And so, Paul, we want you to write to us commendation. Hey, you guys are doing great in this area. Hey, hey, we're looking for affirmation, Paul. Would you do that? And so Paul writes to them, I'm not going to do that. I praise you not. You've got this all wrong. Well, what did they got wrong? Well, they got wrong this area of the Lord's table. As a matter of fact, Paul writes to them, he writes to them this, that you've got this so wrong. Listen, you are so wrong in this area that it would actually be better for you to not even gather as a church. Look at verse number 18 with me real quick. Don't miss this. Or verse 17. He says, now in this I, that I declare unto you, I praise you not. And then he says that you come together not for the better but for the worse. Well, what does that mean? Paul's saying, you are so messed up in this area that when you guys are gathering, it's actually bad for you. Man, what a, what, what a, uh, what a, what a statement. What a statement this morning. I mean, your coming together is actually causing more division and more separation and more hurt than it is good. And then Paul says, and I believe it. He believed it because those at Corinth had a reputation. They were known for being a selfish people. And here, here's what we need to understand what they were doing. 
The church at Corinth, they would celebrate the Lord's table as one big event. It was kind of like a big, if I can say it this way, it was a big potluck Sunday. And they would celebrate the Lord's table in this way. They would come to church and they would make it like a potluck dinner, but you wouldn't bring, listen, this is crazy. You wouldn't bring dinner for yourself and others. You only brought dinner for your family. And they titled this the agape feast, the love feast. We're gonna show love to God and we're gonna go show love to other people. And so we're gonna celebrate the Lord's table. They called it that, the Lord's table. We're gonna celebrate that by gathering together and everybody bring your own food. But here's what would happen. I say this often about church and about biblical Christianity. But biblical Christianity in the church, I said it two weeks ago, is really the only place that all of the isms of the world collapse. What do you mean by that, pastor? The ground is level at the cross of Jesus. In Jesus, there's no status. In Jesus, there's not Gentile or Jew. In Jesus, there's not rich or poor. In Jesus, there's not red, yellow, black, and white. In Jesus, it is all level at the cross. For the very first time in many of these people's lives in Corinth, they were understanding that principle. So, we got to remember the cultural context, all right? Remember, context matters. In that culture, everything, everything was segregated, okay? Religions, religious people were segregated by religion. Rich and poor were segregated by their riches. Jew and Gentile were segregated by their nationality, Um, You can go to uh, um, different things and understand even male and female were segregated in certain areas and certain uh, sections of the community. Everything was separate, bond and free, slave and free were separate. What does that mean, pastor? That means you very rarely saw those people intermix, like hang out together. As a matter of fact, the only time you would really see slave and free hang out together or Jew and Gentile or any of those other things we just mentioned, the only times you would ever see them intermingling would be in the marketplace, the agora. That's the only time you would see them intermingling. When, uh, when there was feasts, there would be a rich people feast and a poor people feast. There would be a uh, um, temple of Poseidon feast and a temple of Zeus feast. Like you just, you never hung out. Well, then Paul comes in, he preaches Jesus, people get saved. And now within the church, what do you have? Well, you have the same thing you have in our church today, a mixed company. In here this morning, there's people that they're very well off financially. I'm very well off. In here this morning, there's people who are working paycheck to paycheck. They're, they're not that well off. In here this morning, there are people who uh, have, are, are one race and people who are another race. There are people in here this morning, uh, we're not bond and free, we don't have that anymore, but there's people in here this morning that some work jobs, some are retired. Do you understand what I'm saying? The church is the only place that that really happens, but here's what was going on at their agape feast. We read it in verse 18 through verse number 22. They would get together, the rich people. Well, what did the rich people bring to eat? A lot of stuff. And they're rich. And they would use that as an opportunity to kind of gloat about their riches. They would bring the food in and they would, they would eat it up. I mean, they would eat, they would almost gorge themselves. But then on the other side, You have the poor people. You have maybe the people who are slaves. And they're gathering and they're not getting filled. Why? Because they don't have much. And so at this feast, when they're celebrating the love of God and love for each other, they were separating into divided groups. There are divisions among you, and I partly believe, I believe it because Paul has already written to them about the main issue that the church at Corinth had was pride. Their main issue was pride. Everything in the book of Corinthians, I personally believe, can boil down to pride. And so Paul writes to them. 
And he says, you want me to praise you? Like, man, you guys are doing this agape feast and it's awesome and you guys are doing really well, but I praise you not. As a matter of fact, you are worse off for coming together. It would have been better for you just to stay home. Can you imagine that being said about church? Now, I praise the Lord. I mean this with all sincerity today, and I'm, I'm so thankful, but we need the church. Man, we need it. Uh, I, I, a number of years ago, I read a book, and I've grown, up in, I've grown up in church. I've grown up in a pastor's home my whole life. Dad preached my whole life, and uh, he, didn't, he didn't step out of ministry until uh, right before we were moving on to start Moses Lake Baptist Church is when he stopped pastoring, but stayed in ministry. So five decades in ministry. That's all my life. That's what I grew up in. But I read a book a number of years ago helping me understand and remember that the church is just as much a part of the pastor's life as it is anybody else's life. And here's what I recognized nine years ago. I need you. I need my church family. I mentioned last week being in New Jersey. Last week in New Jersey, three-hour difference. I was trying, when I travel, except for when I go to Israel, but when I travel in the U.S., I keep my watch on the time for here, Moses Lake time. And um, there I did that. And I try, listen, I, I try to keep myself up. So mentally, like if it's, you know, nine o'clock here, it's midnight there. I try to stay up till midnight or one o'clock in the morning so that when I come back, I'm not just, you know, jet lagged and all of that. So I stayed up last week. I got to watch all the services. I watched Sunday mornings in the afternoon, Sunday nights. I watched uh, late at night in the hotel room. And you know what? We had great services at the church I preached at last week. That church, um, they, uh, they probably could seat 500 in their, in their auditorium. And just a, a large church, they had maybe 150, 180 in the auditorium that morning and that night. And it was, it was a good time. And I praise the Lord for the opportunity. But you know what I, what I did when I was watching our services? I was like, man, I want to be home. And I'm not just saying that. Like, I really is like, I just, I, I miss my church. I'm, I miss being there. I, I wanna, I'm, Brian's doing a good job, but I could do better. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, I was sitting there thinking, man, I wish I was sitting in the auditorium. I'm kidding. I, I know I couldn't. I'm sitting and listening to the auditorium. And I'm, like, I'm, think, I'm, I'm thinking, man, I wish I could just sit in the auditorium and listen to this message. I wish I could. You know what? You know what I've realized over the years, and I hope you realize it? Church coming, gathering, it should make me better. Can you imagine someone saying, man, you, you being at church today actually made you a worse person. That's what Paul wrote to them. That's how messed up they were in this area. And here's the rebuke. The rebuke to them was simply this, like when you come to church, you are coming with all of the wrong motives, you are coming with all of the wrong reasons. There's divisions among you and heresies and it's revealing some truths in you. And listen, it would have been better for you just to stay home. That's right now where all of our folks on live stream are like, see, see? No, listen, we need the church. We need to see the, the whites of each other's eyes. Man, need to look into an eyeball, need to shake a hand, need to give a hug, need someone to come up and say, man, I've been praying for you this week. Oh, it's so good to see you. Man, it's encouraging to see each other. It's encouraging to be seen. Why? Because we need the church. And here's what Paul was saying to them. It would have been better to stay home. It would have been better for you just to stay home. <clears throat> they were divided and even in just gathering as a church, they were missing the purposes of the church. Let me give you real quickly the, some of the purposes of the church. Did you know Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25, it says this, let us consider one another. Hey, think about each other. And what should I do? Try to provoke or encourage unto love and to good works. Not forsaking. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, Paul, you know, the author of Hebrews, I believe Paul, you know, he's writing to the, the Hebrews. He's writing to them, hey, listen, when you gather, it has a purpose. The purpose, a little bit before it, he says the purpose is to love God, glorify God, worship God. But one of the purposes of the church is to provoke each other, to encourage each other. To what? To love and to good works. 
And don't forsake the assembly. Hey, we need church. Man, we need it. We need each other. We need to come together with the purpose of, I just want to help you grow and you want to help me grow. And the worship music, the singing helps me grow and the greeting helps me grow and it's going to invest in somebody else. But when we come, listen, don't miss it this morning. When we come with the wrong motivations, it's almost better that we stay at home. Because when we come with the wrong motivations, you know what we're doing? I mean, let's be honest. We're sitting there in our seat. We're checking the clock. Man, I sure hope pastor gets done before 1145 today. I just really hate the weight of Michael's. I hate it. I got to get there first today. We're checking the clock. We're thinking, man, I just, uh, I hope that, I hope the announcement video at the end, I hope it's kind of funny today. I hope, I hope, I hope they don't take too much. I, and we're, we're me focused. Let's be honest. Those of us who have been in church for any length of time, we know we've come to church at times me focused, right? Like, what can I get today? Like, pastor, come on. Come on, you better, you better give me a good one. And we come, we come with the mindset of, it's all about me. Hey, Paul was writing to them, he was writing to them specifically about the Lord's table. But I think a great application for us is when we come to church, may we have a desire to come with the right motivation, the right heart that says, God, help me to remember the reason why I'm here. I love how Jesus said it in John chapter, listen to this, John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 Jesus said a new commandment, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Wait, the new commandment was not that you love one another. Jesus, God had already given that back in Deuteronomy. Hey, love each other. Here's the new part of it. Love as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then by this, by this type of love, notice it, shall all know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Do you know what those verses are saying? Hey, listen, those verses are saying, if you and I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if we love each other with the selfless, sacrificial, forgiving love like Jesus had toward us, if we're willing to forgive even when uh, the request is not made, if we're willing to uh, drop the bitterness and drop the grudge, if we're willing to sacrifice and to be a blessing to others even when they're not a blessing to us, when we're willing to love like Jesus People who don't know Christ, they look at that and they say, what are you doing? Uh, how do you do that? How can you forgive? How, can you, how, how does this happen? What are they doing? They're seeing the love. They don't, they don't know what they're seeing. They're not going to go, now I notice you love them and they, you shouldn't love them. They're just saying there is something different. That was a promise from God. If you have the type of love toward each other that God has toward us, by this, by this type of love, everybody's gonna know that you're a follower of me. Hey, it's just gonna draw people to Jesus. So the rebuke that Paul was giving to them was, hey, you are coming together for the wrong reasons and you are actually hurting the church. I see the rebuke this morning, but then I see the remembrance. Paul lays out what the Lord's table is actually supposed to be. He addresses their fallacy in their heart of coming together. Hey, you're coming together for the wrong reasons. It's all about you. You're calling it the Lord's table, but it has nothing to do with the Lord. <laughs> Your spirit has nothing to do with the Lord. Let me remind you. Go look at verse number 23. He says, for I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. What is he saying? Hey, I already taught this to you. I, I gave it to you already, but you missed it. So let me remind you that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he betrayed, in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death until he come. Here's what Paul is saying to them. Hey, let me get a few things straight. Here's what you need to know. I taught it to you once, but you missed that class. You, you didn't read the book. You just read the front and the back. Let me give you what, it, what the Lord's table was. The same night Jesus was betrayed, he sat down with his disciples. 
His disciples, I believe you can go and we, we aren't gonna take the time to do it this morning because it's a totally different message. But how many, how many disciples were there? There were many disciples. There were many followers of Jesus at this time. But who was in the room with Christ on the night that he started the Lord's table? There were 12 in there. There were 12, go read Matthew. There were 12 in there. Jesus and the apostles, right? So 13. During dinner, they actually ate a dinner. They ate a real dinner. And then following dinner, Jesus said to Judas, hey, Judas, what you're about to do, go do it quickly. Judas got up and left. So now who's in the room? Jesus and the 11 apostles. And what did Jesus do? After Judas was gone, Jesus said, pulled out a unleavened bread. And he said, guys, this represents my body. I'm gonna give my body for you. I'm gonna be betrayed. I'm gonna die. And they, they actually rebuked him. Remember Peter? <laughs> Not so, Lord. And Peter, Peter, Jesus says, Peter, you quit opening your mouth, man. <laughs> like, just stop. I'm gonna be betrayed. But this bread, it represents my, my body that's broken for you. And they would think about that. And Jesus prayed, blessed the bread. And he partook, he ate that unleavened bread. Then he held up a small cup, small cup of, of wine. And Jesus said to them, this, uh, this is the, now, now listen, let me just say this real quick. Their wine was not like our wine. You say, well, pastor, uh, what do you mean? Their wine, their wine didn't have all of the alcoholic content that our wine does today. Okay, and there, there's a whole different lesson in that. You, you wanna know, pastor will sit down with you, I can go through all that. But anyway, we would, we would essentially understand that their, their wine was a, a, a very strong, a very strong grape juice. There was some alcohol content in it. It would be like an alcoholic content of like NyQuil. Something, I mean, just not minimal. That's why, this is real quick, I'm getting off the subject. That's why you read in the Bible, they would have weddings for seven days. It would take them six days to get drunk. That, go read it. That's the his, history. It'd take them six days to get drunk. Why? Because there's not a lot of alcohol. I mean, they can literally like drink it all day. It's not going to do anything until the sixth day. And then they're busting out the really bad wine. Why? Because we've had six days of drinking NyQuil. Something's going to happen. You still with me? Okay, good. Jesus at the table, he said, this, it's the blood of my body. It's going to be shed for you. He prayed, he partook. Why did he do that? Well, Paul wrote about it. Jesus said it. He said, when you do this, as often as you do this, as often as you sit down with unleavened bread and with unfermented wine, whole lesson there, as you sit down and do that, you are showing, you are remembering you are declaring, you are pointing at the Lord's death. Hey, what you're doing when you do this is you're remembering the sacrifice of my life for you. And I want you guys to do this. I want you to do it. The Lord's table is actually one of the ordinances for the church. There's two ordinances for the local church, baptism and the Lord's table. What is an ordinance? An ordinance is an outward showing of an inward decision. Baptism happens once. After we trust Christ as Savior, we get baptized. What are we doing? We're going into the water. If, this, if my arm right here represented the, the plane of the water, we're going into the water, picture of the cross. We're going under the water, picture of the burial. We're coming up out of the water, picture of a resurrection. What are we doing? An outward showing of the inward decision that we made to receive Jesus Christ. Remember, baptism has no part of salvation. It's an ordinance, no part of salvation. The Lord's table is also, it's also an ordinance, no part of salvation. It is just simply me doing three things. What am I doing when I'm partaking of the Lord's table? Number one, we're remembering. 
On that same night, Jesus said, you do show the Lord's death. You do rem- you're remembering what Jesus Christ did for you. Hey, when we partake of the Lord's table tonight, actually after service, after the Sunday evening service is our Lord's table night. And uh, man, you're welcome to be here and be a part of that. Uh, and we look at this and we understand we are remembering. What are we remembering? We're remembering the sacrifice that Jesus did for you. Hey, you're remembering that he died on the cross for you and and he died in your place and he died giving his life and shedding his blood. What are we doing? Man, we're remembering that I deserve hell. I deserve hell and I can't restore myself to God. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin, it's death, but the gift of God, it is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hey, when you gather together for the Lord's table, what are you doing? You're remembering God, I remember, I remember, and I'm thankful. We are remembering, we are declaring. The word show right there in the passage, it means to proclaim or to declare or to show forth. You know what we're doing when we gather for the Lord's table? We are declaring or proclaiming or speaking highly of the Lord's death. Hey, I just want people to know, I want the church family to know that I not only remember it, but I'm not ashamed of it. Man, I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. I'm not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I do show forth the Lord's death until he come. I remember what he did for me. And I'm not afraid to to gather with other believers and to make the statement, man, I remember it and I'm thankful. And I declare that Jesus Christ did it for me. And then what else are we doing? We're pointing. We're pointing. pointing. What What are we pointing to? You do show the Lord's death until he comes. Hey, you know what you're doing when you gather together for the Lord's table? You're saying, not only do I remember, not only am I not ashamed of it, but oh man, I'm looking forward to heaven. Man, I'm looking forward to when he comes back. Man, I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face and I'm looking forward to hugging his neck and I'm looking forward to bowing before and I'm looking forward to just worshiping him for what he's done for me. Hey, Jesus has done so much for you and I. I hope today that you're not so caught up in this world. I hope today that your mind is not so seeped in the manure of this world that you get blinded to say, I'm not looking forward to heaven. Hey, look forward to heaven. Why? You get to be with Jesus forever. Man, the one who died for you, the one who gave his life for you, the one who offered you forgiveness completely free of charge. You and, I, you and I don't have to do anything to go to heaven. We simply put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he says, forgiven, all is forgiven. I put your sins as far as the east is from the west. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to seeing him. Man, I'm looking forward to seeing Christ. And here's what Paul is saying to them. Hey, you're coming together and you're gathering and you're, you're doing your feast, but you're actually causing division. That's not what the Lord's table is. You've got it all wrong. No, the Lord's table is a time to remember. The Lord's table is a time as a church, as a member of your local church at Corinth to declare, man, we're in this together and we're not ashamed of it. And it's a time to bring unity to say, and we're looking forward. What are we looking forward to? Jesus. Man, I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to be with him. You see, the Lord's table, it's all about the Lord. You're making everything about you, but you're wrong. You're wrong. You know, there's still some falsehoods today about the Lord's table. There's falsehoods that are taught. Maybe you grew up in a religion with falsehoods about the Lord's table. What are some falsehoods? Well, there's some wrong terms about the Lord's table. It's not a sacrament. A sacrament means needed for salvation, part of salvation. The Lord's table is not part of salvation. No, 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 my friend. Hey, uh, the thief on the cross, here's what people say about him. Well, he was the exception. No, the thief on the cross, Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know what the thief on the cross didn't do? He didn't get baptized and he didn't partake of the Lord's table. Oh, well, uh, um, uh, well, uh, he, uh, mm, uh, uh, God, God made an exception. no. God doesn't change. People were saved in the Old Testament the same way they're saved in the New Testament. By faith in a loving God. In the Old Testament, they look forward to Messiah. In the New Testament, we look back at the Messiah. Nothing to do with us, everything to do with him. It's not a sacrament. Holy communion. 
That's what some churches call it. The word communion, people even call it that. The word communion just simply means close relationship to. You can call it communion if you want. But holy communion, what some churches have done, they put that word holy in front of it to say that there is something special about this, that if you partake in the Lord's table, you are closer to God than anybody else. Hey, that's Phariseeism. That's Pharisaical. Well, Phariseeism is a word, but I just made it up and we're rolling with it. <laughs> because didn't Paul write this in 1 Corinthians chapter number two, that your faith doesn't stand in anything that you do. Your status in God doesn't matter. You don't mean, you can't, you can't go before God and be like, God, I'm better than them because I. No, who you are in Christ, you stand there because of the power of God. Not you. So it's not holy communion that brings me closer to God. It's not, uh, there's the phrases consubstantiation and transubstantiation. Some of you are like, pastor, this is way over my head. Don't worry, we'll come back. Consubstantiation and transubstantiation that literally the, the wafer or the cup actually turn into the real flesh and the real blood of Jesus. Just gonna say this, that's not in here. That's not in here. Well, but I, I was taught this. Listen, I'm not trying to, uh, to uh, um, criticize anybody's teaching or upbringing or anything like that. You say, Pastor, what do we do at Moses Lake Baptist? We just come back to the Bible. That's what we're always gonna do. What's the Bible say? Jesus never said. Now, when you do this, it turns into my flesh. No, he said, listen, when you partake of this, you are showing, you are remembering. So it's not that. It's not consubstantiation or or transubstantiation. No, it's a time to remember, a time to declare, and a time to point to God. I see today the rebuke, I see the remembrance, and lastly this morning, I see the responsibility. The responsibility. Notice verse 27, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Well, what is Paul saying? Remember, context matters. He's writing to them because they've got it all wrong. And here's what he writes to them, basically, in verse 27. If you keep doing this, the Lord's table, if you keep calling it the Lord's table and doing it this way, you're going to be guilty. Well, guilty of what? You're guilty of this, that just as the Romans broke the body of Christ and shed his blood, you are breaking the local body of Christ, and you are hurting the heart of Jesus. When he says there, whosoever, that they, if they do this, they do it unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. He's basically saying, hey, if you do these things for the wrong reason, you are hurting the body, the church. Now, there's some deep lessons here. We're not going to go through all of them, but the church is supposed to be a picture of Jesus in its local community. Now, what do you mean, pastor? The church, the building? No, no, no. The building is not the church. The people are the church. The people who have teamed up and said, hey, we are, we, we are one, Moses Lake Baptist. We wanna be the body of Christ in Moses Lake. Now, can there be multiple bodies of Christ in Moses Lake? Yes. At that time, were there? No. At that time, there weren't 25 churches in a town. There was like, 24 temples, and then the church at Corinth. That's it. They didn't call the temples churches. They didn't call them churches. Boy, it wasn't ecclesia. Well, there's, okay, we're just getting off topic. Anyway, here's what's going on. Here's what Paul is saying. You're the local body. You're supposed to be a picture of Christ to Corinth. When you gather together in friction and you do it all wrong, you're not a picture of Jesus. You're actually hurting the body. You're hurting the picture. You're hurting the testimony. Man, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to gather for the wrong reasons and hurt the testimony of Jesus in my community. I don't want to do that. And Paul said, if you keep doing it that way, you're just hurting the body of Christ. So what do we do? Let a man examine, verse 28, let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. What should you do? Hey, examine your heart. 
specifically before the Lord's table, man, examine your life. Am I right with God? Am I right with others? Hey, look into your heart and be the psalmist of Psalm 139. God, you know me and you know everything about me. So search me, O God, and try me. Know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. God, test my heart. Look in me, God, and show me me. Man, examine your life. Verse 29 through 32, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You're not even thinking about this. You're all consumed with you. And for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. God has judged people because they have done this. For, but for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Hey, if you would examine your own heart, Man, God wouldn't have to judge you. Why? Because you're being open and honest with him. You're wanting to gather for the right reasons. You're wanting to partake of the Lord's table because because of your love for the Lord and your desire to fellowship with others. But when we're judged, we are chastened or corrected of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Now, Paul is kind of, listen, he's tying all of it back to that agape feast. He's tying the Lord's table and the agape feast and everything together. He's tying the church together. And the wherefore is, hey, when you come together, excuse me, when you come together, tarry one for another. What's that mean? Look after each other. Be concerned about other people. Don't, don't be the rich person that sets his meal to the side and this is, I'm rich and I'll make the poor guy eat over. No, 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 no. Tarry one for another. If any man hunger, man, if you're really hungry, if you're that rich guy bringing food in, let him eat at home. That, he, that you come not together into condemnation and the rest will I set in order when I come. Here's basically what Paul is saying to them. Hey, look out for one another and don't come together in pride and in gloating, a gloating spirit so you don't bring judgment upon yourself. When you come together for the Lord's table, you need to examine your heart Examine your heart, examine your life, judge yourself. Because your responsibility in regards to the Lord's table is to assess where you are at spiritually. Am I right with God? Am I hurting God? Am I right with others? Am I hurting others, the body of Christ? Verse 33 and 34, Paul closes everything out. <coughs> and we read that. But basically, Paul is saying this. Your responsibility in regards to the Lord's table is to assess where you are spiritually now. What does that mean for us today? What can we take from this passage today? Well, two things. Number one, number one, have a right perspective about the Lord's table. The Lord's table is not, <clears throat> listen, it is not of time. It is not of, <laughs> it is not a time of ritualistic religious exercises. Okay, the Lord's table is not a time of ritualistic religious exercises. What does that mean? I know a lot of Christians, and there, there's nothing wrong with this. Okay, listen, there's nothing wrong with a church that does the Lord's table every week. Nothing wrong with it. There's also nothing wrong with a church that does it once a year. The Bible doesn't say how many times to do it. The Bible says as oft as you do it. Here's what's wrong with the Lord's table when we allow it to become wrong. What's wrong with it is when it becomes ritualistic. It becomes something that we don't look at as special. It becomes just another time, take it or leave it. It becomes just another time. Well, yep, he died for me. Yep, he shed his blood. Okay, I'm done. All right, let's go home. All right, when are we going? Where are we going? We're going to, what are we doing? Taco Bell tonight? What are we doing? And kind of having the mindset of it's just another religious duty. Hey, listen, nowhere in the Bible does the word of God talk about religion being a checklist, okay? That actually, no, religion is a checklist, but not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is a relationship. We talk about that often. So number one today, assess where you are spiritually in regards to the Lord's table. If you're a part of Moses Lake Baptist Church, tonight is the Lord's table, and I hope you're here. Be preaching through First Corinthians, or for us, uh, excuse me, Second Samuel twenty-three, and then we have a short little break, and right afterwards, about fifteen minutes to partake and observe the Lord's table. And if you're a part of Moses Lake Baptist, I hope you're here. I hope you come. Hope you're a part of it. 
what are we doing? We're remembering, we're declaring, we're pointing. It's, it's something special. So don't let it become a religious, ritualistic activity that I do. That's number one. But I think there's a broader application. I think there's a broader application. Well, what is that? Well, I think it should give us, this chapter in particular, should give us perspective about church. Perspective about church. So what should my perspective be? What should our perspective be about church? Number one, take it seriously. Hey, they were coming together and celebrating their wealth and all this stuff. And Paul said, you guys don't get it. You're not taking it seriously. We should take it seriously. Hey, take church serious. I was talking with a friend of mine this week and we were talking about faithfulness to church. And I'll be honest, anybody here, you're gonna have 100% attendance this year at this local church, this year, Moses Lake Baptist. No, none of us are. Why? Vacations happen, sickness happens, things take place, right? But yeah, work happens. But here's the thought. I should take my faithfulness to the church so serious that if it's available, man, I want to come out. I want to be a part of church. And I can look at my calendar and kind of see over a four-month period that I make more services or miss more services. Because if I missed more services than I could have made, that, that I could have made, probably I'm not taking it as serious. Now, some of you are like, Pastor, move on to the next point. Pastor, go, keep going, keep going. Hey, I mean it today, and, and I listen, as God is my witness, I would never want to guilt anybody or, or push anybody into a corner where you're like, well, I better be at church because pastor said so. I, as truly as God is my witness today, I wholeheartedly believe what Hebrews 10.25 says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hey, keep gathering. Church helps us. It helps us. Stay in church. Take it seriously. Number two, remember the church is his body. Hey, this is his local body. Let's not do anything that would hinder the testimony of his body in our community. Let's be a picture of Christ. Let's do that by loving each other as he loves us. Number three, examine your heart. Hey, every time we gather, I should come in and examine my heart. God, would you help me today? God, would you work in my life today? God, would you show me me today? And then number four, focus on others. Hey, come to church with a desire to be a blessing not just get a blessing. I love my dad. I miss him. I won't talk about him right now because my mom and I both will start crying. But years ago, years ago, I got really frustrated with, uh, tell him I'm busy. Uh, <clears throat> years ago, I got really frustrated. Listen, don't worry about it. It's phone, it's okay. I got really frustrated with, uh, there's, so pastors gather and pastors gather together and they all talk to each other. You know, it's like, a, they, they call it fellowship meetings. Pastors get together, they sit down, they all talk, you know. And I got, I, I, I was going to fellowship meetings and I was like ticked. I'd come home and I'd be like, man, those guys are jerks. Like they're rude. You know, just because I, we sing a new song at our church, they're like, oh my goodness, you're, I can't believe you're doing that. Just because, you know, and they, they would go at philosophies and all these weird things. And I hit a point where I was like, dad, I'm done with those meetings. I don't care, I'm done. And my dad was like, you're a baby. <laughs> no, I'm not, man. They said this and they said that and they did this and there's that email and there's this. And my dad set me down. He said, son, let me help you with something. There are always gonna be people that hurt you and people that see differently than you. But what I said at my dad's service, everybody is hurting, just encourage them and point them to Jesus. Hey, Dennis, go to the meeting desiring to just be an encouragement, not get an encouragement. Can I help us with church today? Don't just come into church every week with like, what can I get out of this? Well, should we desire to hear from the Lord? Yes. Should I expect to meet with God? Yes. Should I expect to be challenged? Yes. But come to church with a heart that says like, God, help me be a blessing to others today. God, help me to encourage somebody. And I don't know about you, but this passage really helped me. It helped me remember, helped me remember 
Not only the thoughts about the Lord's table, but it helped me remember church is important. This body is important. Take it seriously. Remember it's his body. Man, examine my heart. Every time I come in, God speak to me and then God help me to focus on other people. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.